You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly dose of inspiring innovation. Hello, and welcome to Lab Notes. I'm your host, Leo Stevens, and today we'll be diving into the life and times of Dr. Mariam Parviz, a biomedical engineer and one of the two key brains behind JASB, a bioresorbable bone implant that promises to simplify surgical procedures and greatly improve recovery times for patients needing bone repair. As you'll hear, Mariam is an Iranian-born Australian who set her sights on biomedical engineering at an early age, thanks in part to her mother's need for a hearing aid. It's a career path she hasn't wavered from since, studying first at Tehran Polytechnic before moving to Australia in 2012 to undertake a PhD in biosensing under Professor Justin Gooding of the University of New South Wales. Knowing she always wanted to return to the world of commercial R&D, Mariam also undertook the Medical Device Commercialization Training Program run at Sydney's deep tech incubator Cicada Innovations. As well as teaching Mariam how to commercialize devices, the experience also helped to shape a lasting bond with her partner in life and business, Dr. Imam Manabi Tehrani. Together, the pair founded SDIP Innovations in 2018 with the goal of commercializing their game-changing bone implant material. The project has since been backed by the Medical Devices Fund, New South Wales Health, and Austrade, and Dr. Mariam Parviz has recently relocated to the USA, whereas she is progressing the project as a member of the QB3 Life Sciences Incubator based at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Marion Parvis, welcome to Lab Notes. Thank you so much for having me. So Marion, you're currently the CEO of SDIP Innovations. I wonder if you could start with a quick explanation of your company and its core technology, the JASB implant? Sure. So you know how a lot of people have metallic implants, such as the screws, plates, and pins that was put in their body one day to hold the broken bones in place? So the great news is that the bone can heal and regenerate. But the bad news is that the metallic implants that are used stay in the body forever and don't go away after the bone is healed. So in a lot of cases, the patients have to undergo removal surgeries to to take those metallic implants out of their body. The problem becomes even worse when it comes to kids, because almost all kids with metallic implants, they have to go through removal surgeries because the implant interferes with the child's growth. Well, we are developing the next generation of bioresorbable implants called JASB that removes the need for some of these unnecessary operations. Products such as bone grafts to fill the bone voids and pins for natural healing of the fractures. They can potentially remove the need for some of these avoidable surgeries. Yeah, perfect. And and in terms of kind of where you are at personally at the moment, you're calling from the Bay Area in San Francisco. What took you to the USA? So, yes, we are currently based in UCSF QB3 Incubator uh, and UCSF Rosenman Institute in San Francisco. And it's based on a fellowship that we received from New South Wales Health Government that uh, basically we have been here since early 2019. And we have been testing the scalability of our technology here in the U.S. 
and also mainly developing the team, bringing experienced people from the U.S. who have done it before on the team, uh, while we keep uh, the technology and the patents in Australia, and uh, we come back to Australia, but definitely the experience and the team that we are developing here would be game changer for us. Well, we'll definitely get back to your technological progress soon. But can we also touch on your personal history? You know, you're a worldly woman. You're originally from Iran. Can you take us back to your early life? And what got you excited about a career in science and medical technology? Sure. So, yes, I'm from Iran and I migrated to Australia to do my PhD at UNSW when I applied and received a scholarship. Uh, During my early life, I was inspired to make really tiny hearing aids for my mom. I was like, if I become a biomedical engineer, I was asking my teachers uh, who is making these devices and they were saying biomedical engineers. And I was like, okay, I want to be a biomedical engineer. And I got to study my bachelor and master in biomedical engineering. And then I worked as a quality engineer for two years And uh, then I moved to Australia and did my PhD in nanomedicine uh, in UNSW. And while you were studying in Iran at the Tehran Polytechnic Institute, you also met a very important character to this story, which was Dr. Iman Mavi Tehrani. He's now your co-founder and the chief scientific officer for SDIP Innovations. Can you tell us about how you two first met and how your professional relationship has grown? Sure. So, yes, so we we both studied bachelor uh, in the same field and then uh, we did our PhDs in different fields, basically. But then what professionally brought us back together was the medical device commercialization program that was uh, sponsored by New South Wales Health and executed by Cicada Innovations, where we immersed ourselves in customers' discovery, developing the business model, basically learning the basic language of entrepreneurship for us uh, who were both like finished my PhD and I, Iman was, I think, a year post his PhD at that time. And then uh, when we did a medical device commercialization program and we did some customer discoveries on the technology that he initially developed the idea when he was a PhD student at the University of Sydney, um, we started working on the technology. And we founded the STEEP after the medical device commercialization program and doing basic search on the need and how this can be a great fit for the market. And then we started also working on the technology again from technical point of view to the point that technology is now well advanced uh, beyond what was developed at the university. I think it's basically another example of why uh, we should keep inventors so close to deep tech startups, because for us being as technical founders, we have been able to pivot, we have been able to advance the technology together. And yeah, I mean, co-founder relationships are so critical to to startups as well. You know, how important was the, the trust that you guys had built up over going through these programs together to what is now your co-founder relationship? I think the co-founders, as you mentioned, uh, the relationship is, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that you spend most of your time with your co-founder 
and uh, it's important from a skill point of view how you match and complete each other and also from personality point of view if one of you is uh, like for example for us one of us is really willing to talk to people talk to investors the other one is really interested in advancing the technology working in the lab working with uh, quality control employees working with research and development team while i'm more interested in developing the business model talking to investors bringing partners to the company and at the same time there are a lot of ups and downs um, especially in medical device startups because not only you have to get the regulatory approval before you even are able to sell your product but also there are a lot of technical aspects that you need to make sure that they are working perfectly because it's going in a patient so it's not a uh, it's not a simple thing it's not um, it, we cannot underestimate the quality and the technology that you need to put in place so uh, and again uh, the grit is something that is essential for founders but cheating each other up when the other person is down um, from personality point of view is very, very important. And as you mentioned, trust. Trust is a critical point, especially as the company grows there, you and your co-founder might have different ideas, but you should have absolute trust that um, nothing bad is going to happen and you always keep each other's back. So that becomes really important because if you have that worry, then it means that you have less energy to focus on developing your business. It's like a side thing that becomes important that it, it shouldn't basically. Yeah, absolutely, Mariam. And I think it's pretty clear you and Imam have built a strong co-founding relationship within SDIP. And speaking of relationships, I also wanted to ask you about your PhD supervisor, which I understand was Professor Justin Gooding. Justin is a pretty well-known researcher at UNSW. He focuses on biosensing and biomedical devices, and certainly he's someone who has a reputation for getting involved with research translation as well. How important was Justin's mentorship to your career and also helping you get settled in Australia when you started your PhD back in 2012? Absolutely. He, he has been not only a supervisor, but also a mentor and a coach for developing the skills and also developing my personality in terms of how I should be hardworking, how I should not be giving up, how I should race to a job. So when I was starting my PhD, I told him, I'm really anxious. I, I'm, uh, I was like really stressed because uh, he is a very known person in, in his field. He has like wealthy knowledge in sensing. And I was like, there is a lot that I need to learn from you. And he was uh, saying that it's okay to be first time uh, researcher, first time, whatever. Even now I think about what he said. It's I'm a first time CEO and first time entrepreneur. I have worked for startups before, but as an entrepreneur, it, this is my first time experience. And I always remember his words, be coachable, be humble. So I really owe him these things that comes to my mind every day. Be humble, be coachable, raise to the job. Especially when it comes to a startup, it's not just about knowledge. So even if you have MBA, if you, even if you have PhD, it's not just about knowledge. 
there are a lot of factors that you won't know until you experience it. So it's really important to be coachable, to, uh, to listen to people and also have the grit and basically uh, be able to raise the job. So working for him, I have learned how to not to give up, how to develop my skills personally and professionally. Amazing. And can you just give the audience a sense of what your PhD topic actually was? What were you researching there? Yes, so I was working on uh, basically implantable devices that were designed for drug screening. So I was making, I made it actually, I made a minimum viable uh, machine designed for testing the response of live cells to different drugs. For drug companies, uh, they always have to do animal studies, human studies. But what we can do before that to save costs and to save environment is to have the chips in the lab where you can test the drug on live cells. And uh, that was part of my PhD. And the research is still ongoing in uh, Justin Gooding's lab. So my next question is something we had already touched on briefly, but I definitely wanted to take a deeper dive. After your PhD, you undertook some extra training at Cicada Innovations and the Medical Devices Training Program, and Imam was there as well, so you guys definitely worked together through this. How did that experience prepare you for your ultimate jump into founding SDIP Innovations? So after my PhD, I started actually a postdoc at ARC Industrial Hub at UTS. And that was the place that I got the chance to spend most of my time working with the startups, developing products for diagnosis and also for agriculture. And when I was uh, in my postdoc was, was the time that I also got the chance to participate in the medical device commercialization program. And so the combination of working with the startups and then taking this course was basically the changing moment the, for me to think about how I can be part of something bigger, something that we can create basically from zero uh, and uh, it can be useful for patients. I could see that uh, that a lot of technologies are in the university. They can be useful in industry, but there is a lot that needs to be done before you are able to do that. So I really wanted to experience that. Yeah, and after a couple of years of the postdoc and with this training under your belt, in 2018, you, you guys decided to, to take the leap and to found SDIP Innovations. Can you talk us through that decision and, and what made you yeah. confident enough to, to take the leap with this particular technology? For sure, that was not at all an easy decision, especially considering the financial aspects and the fact that I was a big believer that if I want to do it, I have to be full time on this. It cannot be a hobby. So uh, during the program, we actually inter. Um, so before we even found the company, we have we interviewed more than 100 patients and surgeons, and also we talked to a few executive um, people in big companies in orthopedic area, asking them about uh, what is is the is this problem that we have heard from surgeons is is it real? Is there any need in the market for a new biomaterial, not just the formulation, but uh, also the way that is manufactured and designed is novel. So we were asking if they need such a 
biomaterial without uh, disclosing about the formulation we were just talking about the properties. Do you need, if there is a material that has this and this and these properties, would that be a good fit for the market? Would that solve these problems? Uh, we can see that right now the bioresorbable implants, when we talk to surgeons, they say they have resorption problems, they have cyst and inflammation problems. So if we come with or come up with something that is exactly targeting these two problems and address them. Uh, like, would it be a good fit for the market? So we collected all these answers before we resigned from our full-time secure jobs and uh, focused on this. So I would say the customer interviews and uh, making sure that you have the solution and A, and B, the solution is the fit for the market. And I have to say that C, you have um, you have all the parameters in place to commit. So even if there is a problem, even if you have the solution, you have to make sure that from personal life point of view, you have you can commit to basically focus on taking the idea to the market or going through the journey of taking the idea to the market. <laughs> yes, well put, Mariam. It definitely is a journey and one that requires commitment from both personal and professional lives. Uh, and I guess I wanted to touch on the, the technological journey too, because the genesis for this technology actually came out of Imam's PhD at the University of Sydney and Westmead Hospital. Can you talk about the early days there and, and how you went about transitioning that work into the company? Yes. So basically, when he was working at Westmead Hospital, uh, he was looking for idea to start his PhD in 2013. And he was talking to surgeons because as a as a biomedical engineer you learn that your customers are pay, are patients surgeons or physicians and sometimes your customers are patients but your chooser the one who chooses the products are surgeons so it's the best if you are in health to talk to them even before starting your research to ask what topics are really interesting for them and when he was talking to the surgeons, there was one uh, really um, expert surgeon who is very well respected that told him that I have this problem with kids. They come back, they need removal surgeries. You are a material engineer, go and do something. So he explains that it's uh, how he started uh, thinking about uh, starting his research on materials that res resorbs in the body. And then after the PhD, we during the past um, almost three years, we have been uh, taking and advancing the technology uh, way beyond what was developed at the university. Because in medical device, and I think in any type of deep tech startups, you have a big phase of research and development. And sometimes we are afraid of talking about that. I think it's a reality that in the first few years, you may need to pivot, you may need to change your technology, improve your technology. You are sticking to the same problem, same solution, but there are research advancements that are 99% of the times involved. So that's that's the history behind the technology. And still, when we want to adapt the technology for other clinical applications, we are aware that it also involves a big phase of research and development for each application. There are always adjustments that you need to do 
for even each specific applications, especially this is the case for us because we are dealing with the platform technology. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been a scientist myself. and I know how much time and money goes into conducting those R&D processes and, and getting a platform technology right. I guess one thing that has underpinned STIP's ability to do that deep tech R&D has been how successful you've been at gaining grants and getting accepted into accelerator programs to support your technology. I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about what your approach is for applying for this support and, and maybe why you think STIP has been successful. So I would say um, in Australia, in medical device especially, we have really, at, at least we used to have really limited number of resources. But one of the very oldest one has been always from New South Wales Health. Because New South Wales Health, they have started to have medical device commercialization course every year. So the MDCTP is focused on medical device and was on for past eight years. Same with medical device fund that is especially focused on medical sponsoring medical device companies. So we have been absolutely privileged to have the support from the New South Wales Health and Medical Research Office, especially and only Dr. Tony Pena. And one of the reasons that they have been supporting us, we have heard from them that the technical results that we have and also the confirmations from surgeons, uh, they have been great factors because we have been keeping the surgeons very close to us and very close to the technology to prototype testing. And I think they're basically confirmation that they see it on track, they see that it can be a big solution has been really helpful, especially the support from the orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Brett Fridge, who is based in Sydney. He does more than 700 surgeries every year. And uh, having him uh, basically testing the prototypes and um, confirm uh, that it can have a bright future if we do this and that, uh, has been, they have been great factors. And then uh, through the fellowship, we had the opportunity to come to the U.S. We are we have been absolutely privileged to have that. And then we started the relationship here with surgeons uh, at UCSF uh, Benioff Children Hospital. And we got the head of orthopedic section to see the prototypes. Basically, we have been seeking advice from him. So I would say that the traction that grant sponsors can rely on for a companies like us are the results and also the customers, basically, opinions that are basically, in our case, surgeons. Yeah, great, Mariam. And look, I know you've received support from a lot of places, but I did want to talk about MTP Connect, which is the industry growth center focused around medical devices and medical technologies. In 2019, they co-funded a trip for you to go to a conference in Boston that must have been a very different environment and a very different experience to what you had come to know in the Australian tech and biotech sectors. Exactly. And by the time that I participated in MTP program in Boston, I was already based in Bay Area. But what is interesting is that not only the ecosystem is different from Australia to the US, but also the startup ecosystem from East Coast 
in the US is very different from West Coast. So that event was the time that was really a great time for me to discover the differences, especially between what is important for the investors in East Coast versus West Coast and also surgeons in, in East Coast and West Coast. So it's very strange, but the culture of surgeons, the investors, is quite different in different parts of the US. So for us, uh, because as long as we want to be an international company, we need to be aware of not just healthcare systems in different countries, but also the healthcare systems in different parts of one single country. So uh, that program connected back to some Australian companies while we were also discovering some of the differences between the health systems and the culture of startups uh, in different parts of the US. Yeah, I really did want to ask you about that startup culture and the different mm-hmm. microcosms that exist there. California is obviously very well known as a region of innovation and startups and tech investment. Are you able to compare what you experienced there to what you have found in Australia? And, and what is so different about that environment so it's what I'm saying here, just just want to um, emphasize that it's just my personal experience during the past almost uh, two years, and there is no general rules. But my observation is that the quality of research and the support that is available in Australia, we have to be really grateful for. One thing that was missing in Australia was the SPIR program that basically supports Uh, the earliest stage research that comes out of the university and they have uh, the basics in place to create a startup. And I was really, really happy to hear that um, New South Wales is starting that um, program that is already in the US, in Australia. So in terms of research quality and support, we are uh, making a lot of progress in Australia. What is different is actually experience. These guys here have done it um, way before we started in Australia. For example, we have Fred Dinger in our team, Gabby, Mark. These people have made medical device, orthopedic implant companies in the past from scratch all the way to uh, selling the technology to big players and they know what it takes. So all these people together have created an ecosystem that is very, I would say, realistic for startups. One thing that we do most often, I would say, in Australia is that we mix up the startup with corporations. So we should mind the size and the stage of our company. It can be a really failure to follow the corporation models on many directions, for many reasons, for startups. Just to give you one very clear example. For example, you have to have quality control system in place for any company, right? For startups, for corporations. But for startups, really, if you have employees less than five people, you get the education here. You will be trained that you have to have a different type of quality system that is 100% scalable but it's not as expensive and as extended 
as a corporate quality corporate quality system and then they have different states they say oh you have this quality system in place you scale up it this much when you are close to your fda clearance or any kind of regulatory clearance then you have the first years of revenue you need to extend it this much and after year three of revenue you need to extend it this much while sometimes in australia we start from the big picture and that becomes costly that becomes not feasible to do. I would say here the size and the stage of companies is more understood. If I can um, explain, it comes to the quality system, the IP, the hiring, uh, everything. It's in all aspects. They are more realistic about what a startup takes compared to a corporate. I hope I could explain it clearly. Yeah, definitely. That, that's a really important point that the, the needs of the two businesses, a large business and a small one, are, are different and their capacity to be able to handle that level of regulation is different. Um, and speaking of regulation, you touched on it there. It's obviously critical for medtech startups to understand the regulatory pathways that go through the FDA or the TGA and, and getting these products to market is a very long journey. What's your view on the, I guess, the regulation pathways in medical technology companies and how have you been approaching the challenge of, of navigating them? Absolutely. But the great news is that both TGA and FDA have very, very clear guidelines. It can be complicated when it comes to new technologies such as AI, software, but for old-fashioned uh, medical device um, companies, such as um, what we are trying to do here, it's very uh, basically known, and uh, even reading the guidelines makes it really clear to understand what they require to see what classification you have. And TGA, FDA, both are very open to have pre-sub meetings where you, when you have a really burning question about your technology, you can actually put some documents in place, ask your questions, and they have a regulation, uh, an obligation in place to respond to you. They cannot leave it not responded. So they have to respond to you and answer your questions. And also you have to have a uh, experience regulatory either employee or consultant to make sure because it's it's not a joke if you get anything wrong in the regulatory requirements and classification it can really double the cost double the time that is required uh, and that's why it's really important to have experts involved when it comes to regulatory uh, and have if if needed have the pre-submission meetings with the regulatory bodies to make sure what's the classifications. Each classifications means you have a different world of results of class one, class two. This means that for one you don't you just need bench top studies. For the other one you may need human studies. So this really can define different aspects of the business. It can define your quality system, your the number of employees, it can define, basically defines everything for companies who need regulatory approval to be able to enter the market. 
Well, we're fast running out of time, Mariam, but I would really love to get your input on one last question, which is, do you have any advice for researchers or deep tech entrepreneurs at the start of this journey? What have you learned that you think you'd like to pass on? I mean, I'm still on learning curve, uh, but I would say have grit. And everyone has been a first-time entrepreneur, even the big CEOs that you know, like they are in the books right now, they have been first-time entrepreneurs, first-time CEO one day. So uh, have the grit, race to the job, because we have, as a startup, we have limited resources. Don't compare yourself to corporates. Mind the size and the stage of your company and don't compare it to any, maybe maybe there is no exact model that uh, you can implement. So it's not strange to have a model that maybe is different from other companies. Well, Dr. Mariam Parvis, it's been a wonderful chat. Thank you so much for joining us on the Lab Notes podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a fun. Well, that's all we can fit into Lab Notes for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're keen to hear more inspiring stories of innovation, check out our back catalogue and subscribe to the channel so new episodes can appear on your device once a week. Lab Notes is produced by Eon Labs in collaboration with Brenny Digital. You can find links to both of those organisations along with our guests' biography and more in the description below. Our music is sourced from Purple Planet Music and mixed by Nat Harris. I'm your host, Dr. Leo Stevens. Until next week... Keep inventing.